गुड मॉर्निंग प्रणाम एंड गुड मॉर्निंग टू द ऑडियंस ऑफ पॉडकास्ट फॉर आइडियाज फॉर इंडिया माई नेम इज अशोक कोतवाल आई एम द एडिटर इन चीफ ऑफ आइडियाज फॉर इंडिया एंड टूडे वी हैव द प्रिविलेज ऑफ हियरिंग फ्रॉम डॉक्टर प्रणाब सेन हु कंट्री डिरेक्टर of international growth center india program he is also the newly appointed uh, chair of the national committee on statistics and former uh, chief statistician of india he has done many has he's been in important advisory positions in government of india so pranab not too long ago we were discussing things very earnestly about things like economic slowdown whether deficits are too big or too small economy is creating jobs the rural distress uh, whether yes bank will uh, stay or drown etc etc and now all those discussions have fallen by the wayside there is a new crisis on the it's a, you can call it the mother of all crises that uh, india has ever faced or even the world has ever faced and it has this kind of uh, double whammy that on one hand there's a economic disaster stemming from complete shutdown of the economy and on the other hand there is a notorious virus on the rampage and so we are forced to make choices that we had never contemplated before so for uh, certainly two biggest challenges right now and that's for the whole world but certainly for india is one our healthcare medical system which is so fragile and so much will be demanded from it and at the same time much of india's labor force toils in the informal sector right people live from hand to mouth daily wage to the next meal and given this over 80% of the people they over 85% of them and given this situation two biggest challenges in front of us is a how to collect resources to do something about medical uh, system so it doesn't collapse completely and at the same time having some sort of uh, safety net or support for the millions who are going to lose their daily jobs a lot of migrant workers who have gone from the cities back to their villages and how do we somehow help them sustain themselves so these are the two big challenges so now first of all economic package that the finance minister announced a while ago is a merely 1.76 lakh crores and it has a little bit of more food from the pds and then some uh, cash payments to the women members of the jandhan yojana etc but it all seems quite meager compared to the world standards i mean it comes to like something like 0.8% of the gdp when the developed countries have like 10% 15% 20% in germany now given that we all thought that this was just the first step that you know you help the people uh, step by step and this was just the first step and more steps will be coming first lockdown period is over and yet we don't see any second step on the horizon what do we make of this you're right ashok you know what the government did was immediate it was limited and i understand that because you know the government does have limitations in what it can do particularly the central government in terms of what it can do given the the short time that they had to do it in so that is understandable and uh, as we had discussed uh, you know we hope continue to hope that this was just the first step before a longer term game plan gets uh, put into action but you are also right that you know 
three weeks have passed and we still don't have the faintest inkling of what this uh, longer term game plan is. Now, if you really think about it, Ashok, we need to divide up the problem into two very distinct parts. The first part, which is where we are at now, is all about survival. And there are two dimensions of survival. One is survival of human beings, individuals. And the second is survival of the productive capacity of the economy. Both have to survive. Otherwise, once the pandemic recedes, if the latter hasn't been done, then the former may be become absolutely impossible to manage because you simply will not have the production to be able to shore up livelihoods and living of a very large number of people, the majority of people, as you rightly pointed out. So I think let's break it up into two parts. So what we've heard up to now is the government's announcement, which, as you said, is 1.76 lakh crores. But in reality, the additional package is about half that. The other half was already included in the budget, which was pre-pandemic. And that was done to take care of the general downturn that had taken place in the Indian economy. So there's nothing additional about it. So we're not talking about 0.8, we're talking about 0.4. Now that sounds even more measly, admit. But I'll come back to that later. The second part of it, which is keeping enterprises afloat, is a bigger challenge. Now, at the moment, the only thing that has been done, and it's perhaps the proper first step again, is decision by the uh, Reserve Bank of India that the banks have the option of giving a moratorium on repayment of loans and the loan servicing. The problem, of course, is I don't think that goes far enough. So, in fact, neither package, as far as I can see, goes quite far enough. Uh, but as we said, you know, we hope that these were the first steps, but we need to hear a lot more, a lot faster, because we are already three weeks into the lockdown and a lot of damage would have already taken place. So let me try and explicate a little bit about uh, what I'm talking about. Loan moratoriums. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can see that working in the formal sector and uh, formal banks, etc. But I imagine that in the informal sector, a lot of people are taking loans also informally from private lenders, etc. And this certainly won't apply there. No, it won't apply there. But Ashok, you also have to remember, the dimensions of the problem are fairly clear. In India, we have about 65 million non-agricultural enterprises. Right? Only about 4 million of those employ more than 10 people. Hmm. And of those, only about 400,000 are companies registered under the Companies Act. So, as things stand today, we are really looking at three very different categories of enterprises. Hmm. Now, the ability of the RBI and the government to reach out to them really depends upon which bucket you happen to be in. The corporate bucket is relatively easy to reach. Right. The second bucket, which are the, the companies which are employing more than 4 million companies, employing more than 10 people, are also fairly easy to reach. The problem really is 
the remaining 60-odd million entities. Right. But those 60 million entities, on the average, employ about 1.2 persons. So they're really, this is not even mom and pop. This is just mom. It's, a, it's kind of self-employed, yes. Self-employed is one person yeah. or very close to one person. Of that, you have a few who do have access, you know, formal finance. And these are mostly the ones which are serviced by some of the smaller non-bank financial corporations, NBFCs, and by the microfinance institutions. So we don't have the exact numbers on those, but I would imagine it would account for about a half of, uh, not about half, about a third of that 60 million. The remaining 40 million essentially goes on relationships that they have with friends and family on one hand and the money lenders on the other. The government really cannot reach out to them. It simply does not have the means, right? Now, in the classic triage model, I think the government should focus on those which it can reach out to and make sure that they don't die in the hope that these companies continue production and continue employment, the income that they generate will be sufficient to be able to provide the sustenance and livelihood for that remainder. Right. That's the only way one can sort of think about. But now, um, if it is true that, in fact, government is hesitating, make any more budget allocations for a kind of a rescue package, could it be that uh, the considerations that prevailed during the pre-corona time, like, you know, deficit should not be too high, government is spending too much, it could uh, give rise to inflation or if they're borrowing too much, raise the interest rates and stifle the investment or in fact gets Reserve Bank to print money, it will cause inflation. Though it seems that in most developed countries, those considerations have been uh, put aside. It's kind of a wartime footing that, you know, this is a question of life and death and we've got to do whatever we can and we can postpone the problems in the future. Now, Indian government doesn't seem to have done that so far. Do you think there is any justification for that because of any special situation about India? No, there is no special situation. If anything, it's the opposite, which is that in the Indian context, we are not an economy. Let's leave US out of all of this. The dollar being the principal global currency, the US can get away with a lot. But in the Indian context, We have a situation where we do not have any real, very high exposure to external indebtedness, whether by government or by the the corporate sector, although there is fair amount of corporate exposure to the international markets. But in the larger scheme of things, it's not that big. And so one, one can handle it and one can talk about how to handle it. The real question out here is the willingness of the government to say what it is going to do. I don't even want the government to make big upfront commitments to which it will be held responsible. I think it's a better strategy, and I hope the government of India is following it, is that you do it step by step. You see how it unfolds in front of us. But in order for that to happen, I think a few steps need to be taken now. The first step, of course, is the livelihood issue. They've taken the first step. But this first step, in my opinion, is just about enough for the three weeks we've been through. We need the second tranche as of now, not later. As far as the enterprises are concerned, we haven't done anything at all. 
we've left it to the bank. What we need to do now is really think about it in the following way, which is the government has really no direct way of reaching out to companies. The financial sector does, and the government should actually be using the financial sector, which is banks, NBFCs, microfinance institutions, that entire set of institutions who lend for productive purpose to be the frontline soldiers in the economic and to my mind the right way of doing it is to actually make the moratorium that i was talking about change it in two ways one is don't leave it as optional make it mandatory that this must be done up and down the line number two having done that you have to be able to ensure that the intra-financial sector transactions which is bank to nbfcs and to the mutual funds that is also treated in a similar way. That's step one. So what it does is it immediately takes off the danger of companies not being able to service their debt and thereby closing down. The second step to this is that as the process of uh, opening up, lifting the lockdown begins, the government and the financial sector has to ensure that there is sufficient flow of working capital to enable production to resume. Now, all of these enterprises by that time would have hit their working capital limits and maybe even exceeded them. The government will have to mandate the financial sector to increase those limits substantially. Maybe I would suggest just double it. Whatever is the exposure, just double it. But this you do step by step depending upon where and how you're lifting the lockdown. Now, I said doing it prematurely is a bad idea. Right, right. But we can kind of see that this requires a sudden transformation of our whole mindset. That not too long ago, one of the things uppermost in everybody's mind was the banking crisis and right. uh, completely responsible lending by the bank. Then the Reserve Bank had to come to rescue. Banks had no discipline and so on. And now we are basically worried about just the other side of it, that uh, the banks won't do enough. They will be too risk averse. They actually will not uh, help in bringing back the uh, manufacturing sector, the industrial sector, and so on. So it requires a complete uh, revamp of our thinking from not too long ago. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right, Ashok. It does. And that's why I said that this has to be made mandatory because banks were risk averse even before this now they'll be even more risk averse so right. if you keep it voluntary or at the discretion of the banks it's not going to happen it has to be made mandatory and the government has to give it now that doesn't require any budgetary provision at this stage but what it does require is the government to give an assurance perhaps a guarantee to the financial sector that at the appropriate time, it will step in to recapitalize these financial firms. That assurance or guarantee must be there up front. The money will be required at a later point in time. And that's when we can get around to talking about what the size of the government's fiscal uh, position deficit is going to be. The livelihood support for people is not going to take that. You know, we are talking about uh, roughly 0.4% of GDP for about a month, let us say, not more than that. Let's say it goes for another two, three, four months. 
we are talking about maybe one and a half to two percent of GDP max. The real cost is going to be recapitalization of the financial sector, because what I'm suggesting is you take all the damage that's happening and concentrate it in the financial sector, where books of accounts are maintained, and you can actually step in fairly effectively and seamlessly through the fiscal measures. But let me let me just ask you a naive question. I mean, uh, I suspect many people have this at the back of their head because the nuances of macroeconomy, especially on the monetary side, are uh, Greek to many people. So they would want to know, yes, you are a cavalier in saying, okay, you know, there's no problem coming up with a much bigger package. Deficits and uh, debt doesn't matter. We have perhaps uh, lots of foreign exchange reserves and our currency is not in any danger. Okay, we go from this point, 4%, 0.8%, maybe 2%, 3%. Say, you know, Canada is on the low side, say 4%, right? But to what level can we raise this expenditure of GDP that we won't, what's the worst thing that can happen? Can we, in fact, be hit with a big wave of inflation later on that will make us regret this? Because even now, there are pundits who are kind of, you know, they are advising caution. And why are they doing that in terms of macroeconomic calamity? You know, frankly, I don't know. Let me give you the counterfactual. And the counterfactual is if we do nothing, and of our productive capacity, today we have about 55 to 60% of our productive capacity under lockdown. Let's assume 30% of this dies by the end of three months, which is by the end of this whole process. So GDP will be minus 30% and your money supply will be exactly where it is today. So what you will have is a situation where you're going to have a huge amount of excess money supply and you have a inflation without income generation and without production. What I'm suggesting is keep that difference but move the whole thing upwards so that you have positive production and then a, uh, a monetary stimulus over and above that. Yes, but you're going to have inflation both ways. The first kind of inflation, which is the do-nothing inflation, is going to be far, far, far more damaging, both to the economy and even more to the human beings. Stupid to think about it simply in terms of the additional money and not about the additional production. Right, I get it. But, you know, uh, now people all over the world, and I'm sure in India, kind of dreaming of going past this stage of lockdown. And especially when the government support package is so meager and the second or third don't seem to be on their way. Some suggestions which were perhaps considered kind of far out would now be considered quite seriously. When do we lift the lockdown? Can we have a selective lifting of lockdown? One suggestion is that, you know, we should have massive testing and then kind of locate the areas where the spread is not that much and start lifting up. Uh, Debra Jare and Srinivas Subramanian's uh, suggestion was that the young people don't seem to be 
joined the fatality ranks uh, in large number. Maybe like lockdown for people under 40 and keep it for older people, but at least let them go to work because the cure of lockdown may be even worse than the disease, right? Yes. And so on. But again, every suggestion has some condition which seems infeasible for us. For example, wide-scale testing. I'm not exactly sure why, but it is we don't perhaps have enough uh, testing kits or we don't have enough medical personnel to administer the test. Something that we don't see happening on a large scale. So what are your thoughts on this? My personal gut instinct yes. would be to go geographically. Hmm. We are a very large country. As of now, nearly 60% of the country doesn't have COVID cases. Think of carving the country into two blocks, COVID-affected and non-COVID-affected blocks. The non-COVID-affected blocks are still a huge, if it were an independent country, it would be still one of the largest countries in the world. The point is that if you can do that and maintain, impose, if you like, fairly strict, sort of limitations on movement of people between the two blocks. And if you do your planning appropriately through a GIS kind of methodology, you can actually carve out a fairly large chunk of the country where life and production returns to normal fairly quickly. Now, the advantage of that is that once you have done that, there Remember, in these areas, they're not going to be able to meet all their needs because a lot of those needs would be supplied by the remaining 40% of the country. But you would be ready to unlock those when the time comes. I would prefer to take that route because if you of age, then just the administrative and bureaucratic hassle that people will be put through will be phenomenal. And all kinds of people will have to prove this, that, or the other. And had we had better governance in, in the country, I would have said, yes, that is a feasible option. But given our state of governance, I'm not sure. But uh, any kind of partition or separation would still require a little more solid data than we have. Right? No, this like, is not I mean, true, Ashok. This is no. not true. You know, you need two kinds of data. Number one, you need the data on the disease spread. Okay. Within the limitations, I think that data is not bad. And by the end of this week, I think we'd have a fair idea of where we stand. The second kind of data is you need data on economic activity. Now, the GSTN has that data. We know what the geographic patterns of flows are by commodity. So an overlay between the GSTN data and epidemiology data would give you a fair idea of where you stand, what can be opened up, what cannot be opened up, and if you open up, how much you would be able to generate in terms of income and activity. Not last, but not the least. Maybe I'm hoping against hope, but in the past, in the history of every nation, every major catastrophe or every major crisis has created a new path or what seemed totally infeasible politically and otherwise became feasible. In the aftermath of this, do you think it's legitimate to hope that it will give rise to some big reforms? Like certainly in our healthcare system, certainly in the country waking up 
inequalities that it holds and uh, the consequences uh, when something like corona arrives well ashok you are right crises have led to significant changes but some of those changes have not been particularly desirable remember a lot of authoritarian governments came into place because of crises so be careful about what you hope for or wish for but let us hope that at least the focus that the healthcare sector needs does come in and in particular i think what we are seeing now is the dire shortage or the lack of importance that's given to our public health professionals the medical people have always been held in high respect but public health professionals have been treated very shabbily and i hope they get their place in the sun now okay on that note we are uh, coming to the end of our discussion i really enjoyed it pranav hope for the best for india Let's and its for the best in all ways bye now